On this episode of the Average Sean Podcast, we have a what was a week weekend of college football and NFL. We review what happened, what's coming up in the future. We also talk some hockey and college basketball. And we also try to figure out what we're going to do with Notre Dame. So without further ado, let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Average Sean Pod. Chris, how was your weekend? Crazy. Had a friend's wedding. Had uh, another friend. Big, big family gathering on a uh, Sunday all over the place. We're also like in just absolute sports heyday. That time of the year, holidays are coming up. At least things are, you know, hopefully in better shape than last year. And everyone I know has been fairly healthy, so cannot complain. What about you? Uh, it was good. I mean, the, overall, everything was good, especially when I took a look at our picks and realized that, you know, we, we had a strong week overall. Any week that you can come out positive is strong. Uh, you yourself had a good week being up a unit in almost a half. And I was up a unit. So picks are after a rough week the week before uh, we were looking good. But uh, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we got on here. The, the college football schedule right now is unexciting at best yeah i mean i i think that we've weathered the brunt of like the the big marquee matchups you know we're kind of like holding our breath getting to conference championship time just about and um you know i i i was mentioning to you that uh there's some pretty crazy tiebreaker scenarios um that are still at play um i think there's only been one of the big well, Power Five and then the Group of Five conferences that have actually been clinched. If, off the top of my head, I want to say it's the Sun Belt, but everyone else is still like has multiple teams still in play. So that, that's cool. Hashtag Fun Belt. Fun Belt. That's right. JMU's <laughs> new uh, new home. Yeah, we can we can say goodbye to them. Um, not not that I'm you know mad that they're leaving the CAA, but see ya. So peace out. Would not want to be. <laughs> I, I will also say it is still cruddy what the uh, what the CAA are, is doing to JMU with the fact that they're leaving the conference and, you know, the teams can't compete in any postseason stuff. I, I think that in itself is pretty hot garbage. Yeah, I mean, it's not fair to the athletes. I mean, specifically speaking of football, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I don't know what their women's soccer team has been doing, but at least with football, you know that they're at least going to make the playoffs. And um I would imagine that that's their main concern. And, uh, you know, if anything, they won't be able to fly a banner. And, uh, well, I'm sh- it, what I'm trying to figure out, because I think they can still do their, their like NCAA postseason, but I don't think they can do conference postseason. Right. So th- they'll, for football, they're going to make the, the, the top 16. Right? Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't think the CAA has a conference championship game because I don't remember. I, Towson would be the best example I know to go with this, but the year that they made it all the way to the championship game, I, I don't remember there being a conference title. I think it's just like a regular season award, and then right, they go but, straight to the playoffs. But they won't be able to, to win that. Like tech, they, they might finish in first, but they won't uh, win the quote-unquote yeah. title. So okay. 
I see what um, you're saying. And, uh, you know, in, in, in hockey, in hockey terms, we would like to say that the natural predators would fly a banner for that because they, uh, they fly the banners for, for silly things such as that. Well, I mean, you're a hockey team in Nashville and pretty well successful in all honesty, based on what I see out of their fan base. So yeah, I feel like do do what you want because they got hockey to stick in Nashville, Tennessee, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Barry Trotz, big shout out to Barry Trotz, who is currently getting smacked up. Islanders are now on the board, but there his his obviously his heart. Uh, he, he remains in the, in, a legendary f- figure within the Washington sports realm because of, uh, you know, finally being able to get the caps over the hump, but uh, he's with the Islanders right now and they're going to beat down five, one. So, well, so before we hopped on as well, uh, the newest to jump back to college football, the newest rankings came out the top seven, the exact same as the week prior, honestly, not really a shocker with none of those teams losing, but the one thing that I pointed out to you that has been brought up elsewhere that is kind of proving to be an interesting point for the remainder of the season is what to do about Notre Dame because Notre Dame's best matchup, they lost at home to Cincinnati and that's their only loss on the season. So they're going to be otherwise undefeated, but they're not really going to have any good wins. So they're sitting at number eight. You got to imagine that Michigan or Michigan State, or Ohio State, somebody's going to lose, so somebody's going to fall off. My prediction, honestly, is Michigan State. Michigan, I think, is going to lose to Ohio State, too, so both of them will take a little bit of a drop. Notre Dame can sneak up. If Oregon should somehow end up losing, they're definitely going to take a drop, and we all know that if Cincinnati loses, they're taking a huge tumble because the committee just doesn't want to give them any respect. So... What do we do with Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, this this goes back to uh, them just being an independent. I think – I don't know. I mean, are, are we going to find ourselves in a similar situation where we have Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, and Ohio State once again? Obviously, the, old, the odd team out there for the past few years is Clemson. Um but I personally, I don't want to see them get in just because they've already been. Um, I also think that they'll get steamrolled by, we'll say they get up the four seed. I think they'll get steamrolled by Georgia. <laughs> so the, the other thing that I omitted was Alabama potentially losing because if they lose in the SEC title game or even potentially the Iron Bowl coming up, mm. do, what, like, do we really think the committee is going to drop them out because they're sitting at number two, who have they beaten? I mean, they, they beat Ole Miss, which is sitting at number 12 currently, which looks good on paper. But when you look at like the factors that actually went into the game, I mean, Matt Corral was pretty much bent out of shape the entire game. And I mean, physically, not emotionally. And Ole Miss like struggled with Texas A&M for a bit and had to come back and take care of that. I might be completely misremembering. I think I'm thinking of the Auburn game. But either way, it, like Ole Miss, they're sitting at 12. They're not the greatest 12 to ever be a 12. That Like that's really what I'm getting at here. And they lost to Texas A&M, which is sitting at 16. So that doesn't even look good. Texas A&M now has three losses. So Alabama lost to a three-loss team. Beat Ole Miss, which, eh, I mean, not good, not great. 
but what happens to them? You know, if, if they lose to a, to a Georgia, do we really think the committee's going to, you know, drop them out of the top four because they clearly don't care about integrity. So if they, if Alabama loses to Auburn, they're out. In, in my opinion, even if they go on and, and beat Georgia the following week in the, in the title, well, actually no, would they, or yeah, they would still, they would still finish. I it would still be right. I mean, am I, am I confusing things? They would still finish. I think West, now, right? I think with Texas A&M losing to Auburn, I think that's the case. I think if Auburn had lost to Texas A&M and then beaten Alabama, that Texas A&M could have snuck in. Right. Um, I, I just, especially without Bo Nix, I mean, that would be a huge loss. Um, I, I, man, I don't know if Alabama were to lose to Georgia in the SEC title game. My heart tells me that they don't deserve to be in that top four, but I also know how money and, uh, you know, Sabinism has power over, over these rankings and fairly enough. I mean, proof's in the pudding with him, you know. Um, I would also say that if they got in as a four seed, well. They just run it back with Georgia again? Yeah, would the, would the committee do that, though? I mean, that would – oh, man, that opens up another can of worms. I don't know. I don't yeah. think that they would do that. I mean, I think it would be interesting to watch back-to-back weeks because how, how – rare if ever that happens in college um the other thing i've noticed recently or at least i've thought about recently because it it just feels this way does it ever feel like alabama and georgia play during the regular season no i don't think they did last year either It, it just it never seems like they do like you know alabama played florida this year they've played some other teams from the sec east but it almost seems like the schedule makers are always saying like, you know, Hey, these are probably our best two teams. Let's, you know, not have them face each other in the regular season and save them for the conference championship game because, you know, it just works out that way. If it was like Alabama and LSU, then no way that you can't have that as a regular season matchup because they're on the same side of the SEC together. Right. Yeah, man. I don't know. I mean, there's still so much up in the air. Um, I know that there's still a chance that, I mean, obviously Oklahoma State is kind of a dark horse when it comes to this stuff, to possibly being able to sneak in. Um, I, th- I think Wake Forest still has a chance, too. I Honestly, I think the fact that they're Wake Forest, it's going to have a Cincinnati effect where they're, just, they're never going to get the credit that they deserve, even though they're having a fantastic season. Oh, true, man. I, I, I agree. And the fact that they are... Well, actually, they, I could be wrong. They play Clemson this week, right? They do. They play Clemson this week, and then it's Boston College, and I believe they end the season with NC State. Yeah, I mean that's a tough schedule. I, I don't know. I mean, there's still there's there's so much movement that's going to happen, especially especially within the Big Ten. Let's just say that the Big Ten's going to make a huge shift here, unless you just see Ohio State running the table. I mean, I frankly, I do. Unless somebody, unless there's like a devastating injury, I don't think it's really going to be particularly close in those games because their offense is lethal, like super lethal. So I think they're clear cut. Honestly, I think they're one of the best teams in the country. It's just, it's tough because they lost to Oregon. So you have to give Oregon their due. And it's hard to know exactly what Oregon is just because they play so late. 
And, you know, no fault of their own. It's just my fault for being here on the East Coast and not really able to pay that close of attention to them. So that itself, like I said, with Ohio State, I think they're just going to run it clear. Really, what I think still is the, the question mark is what you're saying with the Big 12, because Oklahoma just drops an absolute dud out in Baylor, which I don't know why I picked Oklahoma to win that game. I, I kind of saw it coming. I thought it was going to be Oklahoma State who tripped them up first. Turns out it was Baylor. But really what we're getting at with what we're saying, and this is why I'm mentioning the Big 12, is that the season really isn't going to get good again until rivalry week, which is typically the last week of the season. So, you know, and the reason why is because, you know, we've got so many questions that unless these teams drop a game that they shouldn't, aren't going to be answered until rivalry week because some of the best rivals are playing each other the last week of the season or some of the best teams, I should say. So even though Auburn isn't that good of a team, they look pretty good. If Bo Nix can come back, I don't know if he's out for the season or not. Yeah, he's Um, done for the year. Ah, bummer. Okay, I hadn't picked up on that little tidbit. But even with him out, like Auburn still looked like they were improving, and they've got a couple weeks. Maybe they still give Alabama a game because Alabama has not looked good on the road. Yeah, I mean, and there's always – up my head, I don't know who their backup quarterback is, but there's always the backup quarterbackism, and obviously going against a Saban-led team, that's a huge task. But there's no, probably not a lot of tape on him, and obviously they're probably just going to run him as tight to the system as they can. Speaking of the the Auburn backup, but you know you get these flash in the pan backups that can come in, and you know they throw some new wrenches into the offense and uh, you know, Bama might not be able to scheme for as well for them as well as they would if it were Bo Nix. Yeah. Now the biggest thing with road teams with Bo Nix being out, especially now that you confirmed he's done for the years and no chance of him coming back. Great job, Sean. Um, But now that that's confirmed, really the biggest question mark again is, is Oklahoma because they're going to Stillwater for the Bedlam matchup with Oklahoma state. If Oklahoma state wins that, then chances are they rematch with Baylor, assuming that Baylor doesn't lose another game this season now that they've already played Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. So really all three teams in a way are still in the mix because whoever wins the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game, I presume is going to the Big 12 championship and the loser's just out. And Baylor, as long as they take care of business, they're in the Big 12 championship. Their only losses to Oklahoma State, their next toughest matchup, they won. I can't see any way for them to not be in the Big 12 title. Yeah. No. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's – and that has to carry some weight with it. And, you know, the Big 12 is obviously comparable to the SEC, kind of like the, the evil stepbrother type of vibe, but – I don't know. I mean, and that, that's where I would have issues putting in a Notre Dame team over the Big 12 winner. And it's, it, it's tricky because there, there's no clear-cut solution. And we're doing a weekly podcast where we have to act like there is a clear-cut solution, or at least we have to try to come up with one. And really, this is just a mess. I'll tell you what's also a mess is the Heisman race. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, well, yep. especially now, like I so last week you had mentioned, obviously, um, Caleb, uh, Oklahoma, Caleb Williams. Yeah. yeah, Caleb Williams, um, 
for stepping in the past few weeks. Um, you know, Matt Corral, I guess, is still in the, the the mix. I mean, right now, I would have to imagine the front runner runner is Walker, Michigan State running back. Honestly, I think it's Bryce Young at Alabama, just because he was getting some publicity earlier this year. Yeah, I know. But the the fact that Purdue pretty much dog walked Michigan State and there was such a drop off. And also, I am presuming that Michigan State's going to lose to Ohio State. I think he's just going to fall off because he's a running back and he's going to be a running back on a like two or three loss team. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I mean, in that that loss to Purdue, he still had over 120 some yards rushing and a touchdown. So it's not like he had a bad week. But I, I mean, I, I I get what you're saying. But once again, that's just another mess. We're dealing with a lot of messes. The NFL's had a lot of mess the past few weeks. Your your Washington football team upset Tampa, and I have no clue how to feel about that. With uh, the the Ravens lost to Miami. Yeah, no, I mean, the, they, they got pumped by Miami. Yeah, um, the Lions ended up, not that the Steelers are all that great, but they, they played another solid game and this time actually got a tie out of it. Yeah, speaking um, of, props to the, to Detroit for at least figuring out how to not lose a game. Yeah, I mean, and then on top of that, the Rams, you know, the, the new sparkly team with, with Von Miller and they get OBJ and they got steamrolled by the 49ers. You know, that's the strangest thing is that Sean McVay just never beats Kyle Shanahan. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. He just, he can't beat them. Well, like the 49ers before Monday night, their last home win was last season against the Rams. And then the next home win that they can get is against the Rams. I mean, I, I don't get it. How do I say this? Maybe and maybe this is an East Coast bias, but I think a lot of the West Coast teams, include you know, mainly the NFC West, but uh, West Coast just in general, um, do the, do I think that they have the pieces uh, to win a title? Yes. However, I think that there's uh, the consistency week to week of teams that they play. Um, if you look at the Rams' schedule, yes, they went on a four zero run there before their their two losses but those four no teams were collectively terrible so yes they're racking up wins and of course you know you can't fault them for their schedule like they beat who they're playing cool congrats you're going to get in the playoffs but just the, the the consistency week to week and also like you know going on the road and yeah the 49ers had that really sloppy game um who was that against the rain, that rain game. Remember that Monday night or Sunday night? Indianapolis. Game? Indianapolis. That game was disgusting. But like, I, yeah, I don't know. And somehow Jimmy G is still their starter. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I we we were talking about that before we 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 hit the record button. Um, the inconsistencies with with the 49ers. I mean, Kyle Shanahan's wooed as being this like offensive genius and whatnot, and I think he is, and they have great pieces and whatnot, but. Yeah, it's they're so hard to project and predict what they're going to do week to week. Sometimes they look great, like this week. Other times they look terrible. So uh, I don't know. I would. That's a tricky team to be putting any money on. Yeah, I. So I will say that the one team I don't know what to do with right now is Arizona, because of the injuries that they have to Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. 
But at the same time, Kyler Murray got hurt towards the end of last year and fell off as a result of it. And he's injured again. So unfortunately it appears that there's a a little bit of a pattern starting to develop, which makes me wonder, you know, would Arizona be able to be that team that could get over the hump if they have these injuries? Because two weeks ago, they look really good and destroy San Francisco. Speaking of San Francisco, and then they come back this week at home and get wrecked by Carolina in Cam Newton's return to the Panthers, which first of all, excellent way to get a 15 yard penalty by just ripping off your helmet and helmet and screaming. I'm back at the cameras by Cam Newton. I was, uh, I was a fan. I, I mean, yeah, that's an interesting situation because so there's still a playoff spot well up for grabs, right? In, in NFC, uh, obviously a lot of playoff spots, but Carolina is still in the mix, like significantly in the mix. And now that they have a semi-capable quarterback, not that Sam Darnold didn't show flashes, but without C-Mac, he looked bad, like real bad. And him and Robbie Anderson are clearly not on the same page. I mean, look, him and Robbie and- uh, Cam Newton and Robbie Anderson are like already in sync one weekend. Um I don't know. I mean, that that's a good offense. They have. I like their receivers. Obviously, if they get a healthy C Mac and uh, you know a, a semi, even just a, if, he, if he's a shell of himself from what he was, you know, five years ago, Cam Newton, that could be a scary team. Yeah, I mean, it it'd be interesting. It actually it would be a really fun redemption story in a way for Cam Newton, um, but. Since we're on Newton, there's two teams that we haven't mentioned yet who, frankly, deserve to be talked about more. And the first is Newton's now former team, the New England Patriots. They look like they are rolling. I mean, the defense is killing it. The running game is strong. Even with Damian Harris out this week with the concussion, as is tradition with New England, it's just next guy up, do your job. They look good. Mac Jones is going to make me eat my words of not thinking that Mac Jones is that good. And he he looked he looks good. And then they had the uh, one guy was like either Jacoby Myers or Kendrick Bourne or one of their guys who finally gets a, a touchdown after like 85 receptions in his career. No touchdowns. The stars seem to kind of be aligning up in Foxborough, but also by comparison, Tennessee just is low key the best team in the league right now, and no one wants to give them credit. So. Kind of like what I was saying the other day. I'm like, what what do we do with these two teams? Because they're both in the same conference. Yeah, I mean, I think um, for the Pats, their defense is great. I think uh, at the very beginning of the year, they were they were sheltering Mac a lot. Um, but they're kind of letting them rip the past few weeks. And I don't know, he looks good, man. I mean, and like you said, the having the run game really helps them. Um, and you know, they're always, their receiving core is always going to be by committee that, you know, they haven't had like a elite number one, true receiver, obviously Edelman, but I still consider him more of a slot gadget guy. Um, but you know, Randy Moss was really the last like true stud receiver they had up there. Um, ignoring the fact that they had Ocho Cinco at one point and um I forgot that happened. And and, and one game of A B. So yeah. um <laughs> I uh yeah, I, I don't know. I mean 
They still have to play Buffalo twice, if I'm not wrong. No, I believe they do. That will be the test, I think. Um, yeah, I, I imagine the Pats will make the playoffs, probably as a wild card team. Um, and if anything, it should just leave us all shaking in our boots for uh, the next few years because now if they have a legit quarterback and they can establish a run game. Here we and, go again. Yep, here we go again. So um, I don't know. We'll see. I have to admit, though, like without Brady being there and the fact that it is like a young quarterback, not just like an old veteran who's plugged in to keep the machine going on. There is an air of freshness to this. Totally. Totally. I mean, even though it's the Patriots, even though it's still Belichick and Robert Kraft is the owner, it it feels different, even though it's the same team. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, And don't forget Josh Daniels. He's yeah. kind of the, the offensive guru behind – well, he literally is, but he's uh, – Don't forget him so much that you forgot to say the Mick in front of his Daniels. Oh, geez, yeah. Josh. <laughs> what did I say? Josh Daniels? Oh, Josh my. Daniels. Wow. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's where we're at this week. But, yeah, <laughs> Josh McDaniels. Yeah, don't forget him. He's uh, – a. yeah, I don't know. I think they've done a very nice job of, like, letting Mac warm up. Um, obviously, being a pocket quarterback – you can't just let them rip right off the bat. It's very schematic and, and schemed uh, to allow him to succeed. I mean, there was a within the first four weeks, he rarely threw the ball more than 10, 15 yards down the field. And now they're starting to let him open up. Um, it was a lot of short passes and whatnot and trying to let the receivers do, do the work. Um, and I mean, if anything, that's a template. It works. They built up his, his confidence. They got beat pretty bad. I'm trying to think. They had one really bad loss. Was it to Miami? Was that Miami's first win? New England? Yes. Yeah. 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 They lost week one of the season, I believe. That's right. So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I I still think that if the the, the Mac versus Brady, you know, debate, I think Mac has more tools than Brady does, raw tools at this point. Um, oh, if we're, t- if we're saying comparatively speaking from like when Brady was that age, absolutely. But in fairness, the development of quarterbacks now is much better than it was when Brady first started. Yes. That is, that is something that can't be ignored. Yep. No, I agree, man. 100% so, agreed. I, I'm going to pause the football talk real quick just because I've been watching the Towson game on my side screen here during this. And the last five minutes of this game have been the most absolute frenetic back and forth nonsensical pace. And I cannot help but say something about it because I'm literally like watching the ball pop back and forth like a ping pong ball and nobody's making a shot. What's the score? Uh, Towson's up by like 25. It, they're on a the commercial break right now. Nice. But it, it's, it, it was just crazy to watch because I'm sitting here like I'm looking over and it's like, oh, hey, Towson's got the ball back. Air ball. And, hey, Hampton has the ball. Nope, Towson just got it back because they stole it. <laughs> Missed shot. Hampton comes down. Hampton shoots. Air ball. And so they're going like, oh, my goodness. Like, the, the pace of it's fun, but it'd be even more fun if shots could be made. Well, so question for you. Uh, Towson plays Pittsburgh later this week. I would take Pittsburgh. I, I hate to say it, but Towson lost to Monmouth uh, this past weekend. I would love to say that Towson could pull off the upset. I am still debating how I feel about our head coach. Um, right now, they're, they're coming back in the game. Towson's actually up by 20. 
but right now there's a guy on our team who just looks like an absolute unit. And I, I looked up his stats uh, on the website real quick just to figure out who he is. It's a kid from Mount Airy in Maryland who's 6'10", 250. But if you look at him, he honestly looks like a linebacker. That's like the, huge. The, the man is just like, he's just wide. Like he's, he's just, he's a truckload of body. That's, that's the best way I can describe him. And it's, it's utterly hilarious to see. Crazy. So, all right. So moving back to football though. Um, yeah. Th- I'm, I'm happy that the Patriots are at least consistent because in terms of storylines, what that does is kind of like legitimize the Belichick storyline of things for a while where, you know, it looked like the answer was always Brady and especially now that Brady has looked kind of iffy without Gronk and AB in the lineup recently, it, it it really should lead people to the point. And of course, it's America. They're never going to agree on this. It really was, in my opinion, 50% both of them. You know, there, there's a reason that Belichick struggled without Brady in his first year without Brady. And also the fact that he had Cam Newton because Cam Newton was such a complete different side of the table of of tom brady that it was just it just wasn't the right fit so the fact that you bring in mac jones who honestly he just looks like tom brady 2.0 not in the sense of like you know he plays like him but just in the sense like when you look at him you're just like okay cool it's just tom brady wearing a different number so I, i don't know if that really explains it clearly it's just something about the way he looks and it just it feels the same despite the feeling of freshness I said earlier it it feels the same because I guess the team looks the same but knowing that it's a new guy it, it feels new I, I don't know I, I'm just talking in circles when I'm trying to say that the same old same old for some reason feels new yeah no I agree though it is it totally is so it will be interesting to see what happens when they play Buffalo uh it is also curious we haven't still haven't talked a ton about Tennessee. They lose Derrick Henry. He could come back by the end of the season, which is actually low key, maybe a really good thing because one, it was a bone break. It wasn't a soft tissue injury. So that one's a little bit easier to determine when you can come back from, at least from my experiences, but also he's doing several weeks worth of rehab and no, you never want to rehab something that's broken and then say you're better off for it. But he's doing a ton of rehab. He's clearly been in great shape his entire career. So I don't think that his rehab is just going to be focused on his foot. He's going to be rehabbing with the intention of coming back on the field looking really good. So you're ostensibly getting a fresh Derrick Henry at the end of the season, which you normally don't have. And Julio Jones is going to be out for a while. If he comes back, if he's even a shell of himself, which he kind of has been, that could still lead to some level of productivity. AJ Brown is right now wildly inconsistent, but if they get him to have a modicum of consistency, he is a monster on that team. And frankly, the biggest concern I had about the Titans coming into this season was their defense, but they look really good. I just, it, it feels hard to give them credit just because they're in Nashville and kind of the same thing that I said about, you know, the Predators, it almost just – the Titans have been there for years, but it just feels different being in Nashville because, you know, when I think Nashville, like my first thought is always country music. 
it's not, you know, something about like the, the football team or the hockey team kind of like LA is just kind of like the exception to the rule there, maybe New York too, but most major cities, one of the first things I'm thinking about is their, is their sports team and Nashville just doesn't seem to fit the bill, especially when you've got on the other side of the state, Memphis having your NBA team. So it, it, it feels like a weird split in the state of Tennessee. It totally is. I mean, Hey, I mean, does Vanderbilt sell out all their, all their games? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe their college baseball games because their baseball team is really good. True. That is very true. But the, the rest of their games, man, if there was yeah. ever, if there was ever a case to be made for relegation, Vanderbilt. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. UMass has to be up there. UConn. I know now they got Jim Mora. Yeah, one of the low-key storylines of the past week is just Jim Mora coming out of nowhere to go to UConn. Uh, that's that's got to be one of those, like, for him, he's got to sit there and say, well, there's literally nowhere but up that this team can go. There's no way that he's ever going to turn that program into something super serious. He's got to know. He's just cashing a check. I mean, I guess. I, I don't know. I mean, y- you definitely remember – Late 2000s, when UConn was, like, good at football, they had Donald Brown. People forget how good Donald Brown was in college. Right? Running yeah, back, he, he yes, went, to, yes. went on to have a great year. Uh, he had a few good years with the Colts. Um, I, I know what you mean by that, but now more so than ever, like, the, the more things change, the more they stay the same in college football. And by that, I mean, like, with NIL, it just means the teams that are traditional powers now have even more ability to say traditional powers. And totally. If you're a UConn, you're not a traditional power, and it's going to be hard to kind of, like, build yourself up to that level of seriousness. Yeah, you know who else, though, in that, in that same bubble um, just made a huge stride for their seriousness and will probably draw a few more recruits? Darius. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean that is that was first a big that was a game. very nice win. Yeah, first Big Twelve win in like a long time. <laughs> and look at how quickly we get off UConn to go to another team. <laughs> I mean, I will. Ha- I do have to say, the Jayhawk that they've like blown it up, so it's a much bigger Jayhawk on the side of the helmet. It's pretty sick. I gotta admit, it it looks like a um, a cartoon. It looks or, like the uh, Guinness it- toucan. Oh, yeah, I, I could see that. Um, caricature was the word I was looking for as opposed mm. to cartoon. It, it literally looks like a caricature artist drew it and then put it on the helmet. It, it looks like somebody like just accidentally like up the size of the uh, the stickers right before printing it, realized their mistake, but it already hit like print a hundred of these. and was like, well, I can't go back now. I kind of like it. <laughs> no, I, I kind of like it too, but I'm saying that in terms of like, if you're a design person, it doesn't look like your standard design, which is why I like it. And I'm assuming why you like it too. Yeah. I mean, it's huge and it looks, yeah, it's very cartoony and yeah, I don't know. It's cool though. I dig it. Congrats to Kansas for, for that W and uh, I don't know, maybe we'll see an orange bowl on their site, just like uh, whatever year that was 20, 2009 or no, sorry. That was 2007. That was that year. Yeah. So, all right, we're, we're back on college football right now. So let's just go ahead and jump into our picks for the week. We are changing things up a little bit with how iffy 
to put it nicely, the, the college football schedule is now to kind of meet what Chris and I would say are our own niches. We've got two college football games for the FBS, two NHL games, which is Chris's specialty, and two college basketball games, which by comparison is my specialty. And then, as always, our, our fun FCS game of the week, especially because there is a monster game in the FCS this week that I cannot wait to talk about. The so, FCS is wild this year. <laughs> oh, it's it's fun. It's a wild ride. But uh, let's let's go ahead and start with Michigan, Michigan State and Ohio State. I've already kind of revealed who I think is going to win that game. I've got Ohio State. Uh, the Ozmakers definitely have Ohio State because even though Michigan State is ranked at number seven, they are a 20-point underdog. They are on the road, which is infinitely harder than playing at East Lansing, especially when you're going to the Horseshoe. Over-under set at 66.5. I really don't think that's going to be much of an issue. Because Michigan State's defense is kind of eh at best. And so is Ohio State's. Like, neither of them have really proven to be anything special. So I think that there really shouldn't be any issue with either team scoring. Michigan State's going to rely heavily on Kenneth Walker. Ohio State's a little bit more balanced as they do it. But either way, give me Ohio State. I will say Michigan State to cover just because I think that there's a reason that they're number seven. Even if, you know, the FBS, there is kind of a steep drop-off after the top couple. But give me Michigan State to cover, and and I'm going to take the over. You stole the words basically right out of my mouth. Um, I think it's going to be a relatively close game. Um, I think Michigan State will cover. Um, I see Ohio State pulling off the win. They just – they have more weapons. Uh, I hate to say it, but they have more weapons, specifically when it comes to receivers. You can almost say that the run game is a scratch. Um, quarterback, you got to go with Ohio State. Receivers, you got to go Ohio State. So, um, going Ohio State here, but I'm taking, you know, we're getting into the legit fall season here. I don't know what the weather is going to be like. It's probably going to be cold, possibly some cold rain. So, I'm taking the under. So, I will say that it, they are a little bit of a wash as to each other in comparison of like running games. But what I will say is that Michigan State, they have Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker, and (laughs) Kenneth Walker. And Ohio State has a lot more depth and versatility at the running back positions. So that that to me, I think, is like a big difference maker is just, you know, if one guy's not getting it done, you can switch to another guy. Or if a guy is getting it done, but he gets gassed, then you've you've got another loaded backfield, you know, tandem. Because I think they've got like, like at least three deep. So I know yeah. I know of Travion Henderson. I know of Master Teague because how could you ever forget that name? Uh, and I believe there's one other whose name I am unfortunately forgetting. But they've got way more talent than in that position group than Michigan State does. Kenneth Walker is just so good; he kind of makes up for it. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, I think that Michigan State keeps it close enough um, that. And they're going to do everything in their power, and I don't think this is any type of secret, to keep the ball out of Ohio State's hands, right? They're going to play a heavy possession game. The problem is is that Ohio State's, with their receivers specifically, their speed on the outside, add that with the running game, and, I mean, they they can score very quickly. So I don't need – you know, it's almost like that could burn them, and if anything, that could 
tire out Michigan State even more. Running the football is exhausting, especially for the big guys up front. So got to go Ohio State here. Yeah, I, I think it will be closer than what the odds makers uh, think of it. Namely, just because I, I don't think Ohio State's defense is that good. And I think Kenneth Walker can keep him in the game. Even though Purdue did beat Michigan State, it was a very clear letdown spot that I should have picked up on and just didn't. Hindsight being 2020, of course. But I think that was a little bit more of a kind of like a misnomer when you're taking a look at the season. You're just going to look at them and be like, oh, well, how did that happen? Well, if you look at the schedule, they just beat Michigan State or Michigan the week before. If you look at the box score, you can kind of see, oh, man, it was a big comeback, too. So you start putting the pieces together. I don't think they're as bad as they were playing that week. I think they were just emotionally drained, which to me makes perfect sense. Now, speaking of teams that are kind of on the emotional downside of things, Oklahoma is hosting Iowa State after Oklahoma basically just blew their season, losing to Baylor. But a few things that are going into this, Oklahoma does play much better at home. At the same time, Iowa State is the same team that tripped up Oklahoma State from having an undefeated season themselves. However, that game was in Iowa. This game is in Oklahoma. So a few different factors going into this that kind of ping pong back and forth as to you know, who could potentially win this game makes sense that the spread is a lot closer than the previous game. This one being at four and a half in Oklahoma's favor over under set of 59 and a half. I probably should learn from last week and take the under because Oklahoma looked really bad last week. I'm going to take the over again, just because I'm looking at going, I want to root for fun. Uh, Cause I'm back in that mood, but I'm going to take Oklahoma to get back on track solely because they're they're at home. If they were on the road, I think they would drop a second straight here because Iowa State is a very capable team. But I've got a, Iowa State covering, Oklahoma taking the win. I'm going over as well, but I would throw this question. Have Do we know who's starting at quarterback for Oklahoma? I have to imagine it's Caleb Williams. There, there's no – because Spencer Rattler didn't look any better. No, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. And, and I mean, also, Spencer Rattler's dad has all but confirmed, yeah, he's not coming back next year. So why would, why would you bother starting the guy that you know isn't coming back? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I was mainly just wondering if we had heard anything. Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm going Iowa State here just because exactly what you said with the emotional letdown is that Oklahoma knows that they basically blew their season. I still think that there's a very, very, very slim chance that they do get in to the playoff, but I would imagine that their season is essentially done for in national title hopes. Um, on top of the quarterback controversy or mess, and we, we, I think it's safe to say that we know that there's some some ish going on in that locker room. Yeah. Right? Um, we just haven't really seen it. Um, maybe unlike uh, some, some, some video that leaked out of Texas, but... Um, <laughs> no, I, no monkey attacks? No monkey yeah. business? Well, there was that, and the the the, the what's his name, Bo, Bo Davis, that flipped out on the the, the kid on the bus. Oh, um, true. Which I don't blame him. I don't blame him there. That's part of the game. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of going Iowa State here, just knowing that Oklahoma had a, had a huge letdown last week, and um, you know Brock Purdy, he likes the later season, you know, later season weeks. Um, it's not no, it's not October anymore, but they do call October Brocktober, and uh, 
in Ames and I, I don't know. Just my gut's telling me Ohio, Ohio State. Well, my gut is telling me Ohio State, but <laughs> Iowa State here. But so I'm taking Iowa State to cover, and I'm taking the over because it's Big Big Twelve going. I imagine it's going to be a shootout. So should we call it Brock Vember now? Brock Vember, per, Purdy Vember. I don't know. Brock <laughs> Brocktober just sounds so good. <laughs> oh, I mean, it just rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. Now, let's move to NHL games where for this and for the college basketball games, also the FCS game, hence why we've only been picking the the heads up Moneyline winners. The odds have not been posted for Saturday's games yet. Now, as I'm recording this, I will purposely say that I chose weekend games. One, not initially noticing that the lines wouldn't be up, but then when I thought about it, it it makes complete and total sense. But... Also, because if we're recording this on a Tuesday, I get this up on Wednesday. This gives everyone plenty of time to listen to it for the weekend and kind of get everything together. So keep an eye on the average Sean social media pages, particularly probably the Instagram, because once lines do go up for this game, I am going to try and get something up for everyone to take a look at. But for now, with these games, we're just picking money line winners. Each game, I tried to pick what would be considered the super marquee matchup in each league for NHL, for college basketball, as well as FCS, as we normally try to do. So, Chris, I'm going to let you take the lead on the NHL games. Minnesota and Florida, I will say that Florida seems to keep trucking on despite having lost their coach with Quenville. It's incredible that they're doing this still. And also, you mentioned a minute ago that they were, you know, kind of working over the Islanders as well. So we have a real-life case right now that barring – some crazy injuries happening tonight, or if they have another game before this weekend, Sean, they're, they're looking really good. Sean, are you a fortune teller? I am not. I just got a notification. Obviously, we're recording this Tuesday night that Florida just lost Barkov to a significant knee injury. He's done for the day. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Now, for those of you who don't know, Sasha Barkov is arguably the best center in the entire league. And so hold up real quick, because you because you cut out on that. So say that part again. So Alexander Barkov is arguably one of, if not the best center in the entire NHL. He plays for Florida, like you were saying, kind of an obscure team, does not get a ton of media. Dude is world class, elite is in the same breath as McDavid. Um, for those of you who don't follow that closely, um, notable coach John Tortorella, who now, uh, you know, he's won a cup with the Lightning, had a bunch of successful years in Vancouver and in New York. He works for ESPN now, and he actually threw the, the controversial statement out there last week that he would take Barkov over McDavid. And I'm very tempted to say I'm in that same boat. But so um, kind of following up with what you were saying when I cut you off and asked you if you're a fortune teller. Um, so Florida was rolling the Islanders uh, five to one when I turned it off to kind of focus on speaking some college football with you. But I just got to buy Barkov on one of my fantasy teams and I got the notification and um, he was helped off the ice after taking a knee to knee hit. And in hockey, knee to knee hit is basically like besides a head injury, the worst thing that can happen to you because that typically involves ligands and knees are just so important to everything in the game. So um, 
that that's a significant loss. That is, uh, I I don't even know. So I picked Florida to win this game, and I might flip that now. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, like, now that that's happened, if he's that good, is it is it worth considering, you know, changing? Because it, it's not like Minnesota is a team of slouches. They're really good, too. Yeah, I mean, so it's a different – it's a totally different uh, built team. So Minnesota is extremely thin down the middle in the center position, um, which if, uh, if you weren't following along, Minnesota was involved in the Jack Eichel talks. They need a top-line center. They don't really have one. Um, however, their strength is definitely on the wings. Um, Kirill, their top line, uh, left winger is legit. Um, he's arguably, he's definitely in like the upper echelon of pure scorers in the league. Um, but Florida is just an all around, very, very, very well, well built team. Their GM Bill Zito has constructed this thing. They've got a great build, a great blend of strength. Their back end is heavy but also uh, led by uh, second overall pick a few, or sorry, first overall pick a few years ago, Aaron Ekblad. It's a stud, does not get a ton of, you know, ton of uh, verbiage within the, the media because he is in Florida. He's an absolute stud. Um, the back end, they have Bobrovsky, who's a huge name. They have Spencer Knight, who is the up-and-coming goalie stud. Um, he's going to be real good for a real long time. I believe he's only 20 right now. Um, they have Bobrovsky signed for a long time. Um, they're very balanced. They have a nice blend of youth. They've their third line centers a rookie and they've got Owen Tippett, who was also a high round pick, um, a few years ago, but Barkov being out, I'm going to, I'm going to flip here. I'm going to take mini. Um, sometimes I just love hearing you rip about NHL. Cause I, I literally just sat here for the last couple of minutes, just sitting there going like, I am picking up on so much stuff that even if I've heard these names before, it, it's coming out in a completely different context. It's, it's fun listening to you talk about it. Yeah. So it, it's funny too. Um, obviously they lost Quenville. Quenville's a good coach. Uh, proofs in the pudding with the wins, uh, all the off ice stuff, whatever, you know, screw him. We can separate the coach from the actions, at least in this context. Uh, yeah. I'm talking pr- strictly on ice stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, they they've had a little letdown. They have not been rolling as much as they were prior to that. Um, understandably. So they have a very good team if they can stay healthy. Um, I still haven't seen the hit. I'm, I was trying to, I saw, I was trying to pull it up on Twitter, but that sucks. And I'm still trying to process that because he was a, he was one of my keepers on my fantasy team. He's a huge, I mean, he is, he is the motor of that team. So as I'm still processing this, what is your pick for this game? So there was a few things that we're going to, I also contemplated flipping to Minnesota, but Minnesota right now, as we're recording, this is down two to one against the San Jose Sharks, obviously time for Minnesota to come back, but San Jose is three, six and one in their last 10. There's six in the Pacific Pacific division right now. They're seven, six and one overall. So that means they started out pretty okay. They've been looking bad. So I feel like if you're going to be a top team in the division, again, Everyone in the NHL is professionals. I get the fact that, you know, it's going to be a tight league and things like this will happen, but it doesn't feel like that should be a game where Minnesota should be struggling. Minnesota is tops in their division in the central. They're 10, they're 10, four and Oh, so they haven't even had an overtime loss, which I guess you could say is good or bad with the fact that they have regulation losses, but 
they're first and essential. They should be pretty good. And I, I just, I'm going to end up sticking with Florida because every time I go to take a look at what's going on, Florida's at the top. So maybe losing Barkov is like a completely different story than losing your head coach. Because also in the NHL, sometimes coaches get run through pretty quickly. But I don't know. I just I feel like Florida being at home, they've got the right sort of stuff going on that I think that they can keep on trucking even with this injury. Obviously, they won't be as dynamic, but I think that they're just kind of in that right sort of positioning where, hey, we've already been dealing with some you know side stuff going on as you know blowback of what's going on up in Chicago. We're already kind of used to this. You know, th- this controversy, or in this case, it's not controversy, it's just adversity. You know, it's it's something that they're okay with. Uh, obviously, not because they actually want it, but just because they have to be used to it. So I'm going to stick with Florida on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I really cannot fault you there. And maybe it was just a, a, a knee-jerk reaction for me to flip to many. But, um, yeah, I mean, both of these are very good teams. Um I would ra- much rather have to go head to head with Minnesota in a seven round series than a, a, sorry, a seven game series opposed to a seven game series against Florida. Um, Florida was built with one goal and that was to be able to take down the lightning and um, of last year's playoffs, they gave the lightning the hardest, uh, you know, series. Um, and it's safe to say they just continued building on that this year. They're a very, very, very balanced team, um, but I'll, I'll stick with the mini pick. Now, the other game that we've got going on for the weekend that I picked up is Calgary and Boston. The reason why I picked up this one is because I think that Calgary being where they are in America, they're not going to get the kind of publicity that they deserve. They're third in the Pacific, so pretty solid. I mean, they're not top tier right now. But they're pretty good. And also, I've been keeping track of their schedule as best I can. It seems like they right now, they basically just live on the East Coast. Yeah. Barring like one game against the Sharks. Their last several games have all been on the East Coast. I know that they were in Washington recently and they won that game. And we know Washington because we're fans. They're good. So the fact that they're scheduled, they're basically doing what the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA used to call their uh, rodeo road trip, where they would just like purposely have their schedule be like several road games in a row just to kind of knock them all out. So, so that's how the NHL schedules all of their road trips like that. The Caps start theirs tonight in an hour. Oh, okay. Just so you know, the, the, to save on travel. But so, yeah, it, it is rare, though, that the, the Calgary is this is their second East Coast trip. It's typically one in the fall one more towards the spring. So it is weird that they're both in the fall, but yeah. So, I mean, they're in a tough stretch of their season, but at the same time, they seem to be performing very well while doing so. So picking up on that, picking up that Boston is always kind of like a steady franchise. Again, maybe not tops in their division. Whenever you're taking a look at them, they could be. And that's honestly, that's why I call them steady is because, you know, they always could be tops in their division or even if they're like, you know, a couple spots down, it just feels like they're always capable of it. So I think for early season matchups, this one has a lot more intrigue than there would be to the average eye. Largely due with the media market that Calgary's in, but also just because of all these external factors that when you take a look at it more than just the names of the two teams who are playing, th- this, there's so many more variables that are going into this than initially meets the eye. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, I, 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 
I agree. No, I'm. I'm. Oh I'm my goodness! Here. I stunned the hockey guy. No he, man, he I, had no words. No, no, I agree. I was waiting to hear your pick. I um. Oh, no. sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm taking Calgary. Okay, yeah, yeah. They, they've been performing so well. I can't help but take them. So, no, man. So same. I mean, obviously, I think Boston. Boston's going to be in basically every game that they play another team. I would not want to have to face in a seven round series. They have the perfection line up top, which for those of you who don't, who don't know is Marchant, um, Bergeron and Pasternak. Um, they're disgusting. They're literally, their nickname is the, the perfection line for a reason. Um, they've got a, a rebuilding, but young and gritty decor. That's like the, the cherry on top is Charlie McAvoy. Um, their goalies, though, situation's a little, you know, up up in flux right now. Obviously, Tuka Rask, uh, he's he's still rehabbing from a, a hip injury, and there's a chance that he might not be able to play again. Um, but, yeah, everything you just said about Calgary, I like the fact that this is their second road trip, long road trip, East Coast trip, uh, especially early in the season. That gives teams some time to bond. And I think uh, low-key what is not being talked about with Calgary is that they have Daryl Sutter as their head coach. And for those of you who have followed hockey over the past 30 years, the Sutter name is a staple. It's a huge hockey family. And uh, he was kind of the mastermind between the LA Kings little uh, dynasty run there for, for a bit. Um, His teams are always very well coached. They play a physical, nasty uh, game that travels well to the East coast, which is important, especially come, uh, later in the season and playoff time, they've got snipers on the wing with Johnny Hockey. Um, they've got the, one of the, Ch- the Chuck brothers. They're nasty, so I'm, I'm taking I'm taking Calgary. Yeah, and the other thing that I want to bring up is whenever I think of Boston, there's only one thing that I can ever think of, and it, it just always comes down to this picture of who I believe was Tyler Sagan when he was <laughs> in Boston. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, you, I know you know what I'm talking about. And to keep this as family friendly as possible, it's a uh, it's a sign of two women who surprisingly are okay with doing this together. Put on a sign, hey, Tyler, we both have enjoyed the pleasure of your company in high school. Do you remember us? <laughs> so for some reason, even though there's so much more history behind the Bruins, I can't help but always think about that that picture so completely unrelated to the game i just wanted to bring that up because it's hilarious yeah no i i know exactly for those of you who don't know give it a google it's a <laughs> it's a great picture also uh sagan is on a side note known for knocking over fans beer uh who who if you're sitting ice you know right along the boards uh you, you put your beer on the boards, he will purposely come over during warmups and knock your beer over. So don't do that or else you're going to be down like 15 bucks. <laughs> That's a hilarious troll. <laughs> he does it like all the time. It, I, I, I don't know why people are so surprised by it, but yeah. All right. Now here's, here's, you were excited about the hockey talk. Here's what I'm excited. I want to hear you talk some college basketball. All right. So first game we've got up is Villanova with Tennessee. Big matchup. Villanova seems to be kind of almost taking a Gonzaga mold early to the season where Gonzaga is saying, hey, we're a smaller school. Gonzaga more so has some stuff to prove because their conference schedule is hot garbage every year uh, to no fault of their own. But Villanova already traveled out west to UCLA, lost a game in which they were up 10 with 10 minutes left to go in the game. 
they are now traveling to Knoxville, Tennessee to take on the Tennessee uh, Volunteers. So early on in the season, based on rankings, this is a really good game. The concerns that I have with this, with both sides, which it's not really concerns more so just we're going to figure out how these teams are, is Villanova is paper thin on their roster. Connor Gillespie is back after a season-ending injury last year, which really derailed their postseason. He is their best player by far. Also, a little quick side note about Villanova's roster. They have somebody on their team with the last name of Archie Diacono. He is the brother of the previous Archie Diacono at Villanova. So while it feels like there's been Archie Diacono at Villanova forever, you are correct. But Villanova is still a good team. They just right now don't have any depth. And Tennessee, my concern with them is always going to be their head coach. Because Rick Barnes is the epitome of always has a solid season, always has some good talent, usually always has some good seniors. Like he's, he's not known for doing a lot of one and dones, but he develops his players pretty well. He was the same coach who brought in Kevin Durant. But at the same time, when it comes tournament time, he always, always falls short. And last year when I was putting my bracket together, I made the mistake of picking Tennessee to win a game when I should have known better. So I am back on my thing about saying I hate Rick Barnes because he always disappoints me. Question for you. So coming from, from someone who's maybe not totally in the know, Mm -hmm. who who was the coach before Rick Barnes? Pearl? Uh, Bruce Pearl was there for a bit. I don't know if there was anyone in between kind of like there was Brad Doherty at UNC in between Dean Smith and Roy Williams, but it, basically went Pearl to Rick Barnes. Because Pearl was pretty out there, too. Uh, Pearl's still in the SEC. He's down in Auburn now. Yeah. So uh, he's he's an interesting cat. So <laughs> I, they, they all are. Honestly, I just, I, I don't know. Rick Barnes, to me, he just, he kind of gives me the vibe of, like, if he's anything, he's like a high school gym teacher who's, like, on his, like, not retirement tour, but you know, he's he's not the best. He doesn't look like a basketball coach is really all I'm trying to say. I was trying to find a nice way to say it, but he just doesn't look like a basketball coach. Now, here's the thing. They played three schools so far. Lenore, Lenore Ryan, which I believe is a D2 school. That was an exhibition game. Eh, whatever. But they played University of Tennessee and Martin, Eastern Tennessee State, They've won both of those games. They won the Tennessee Martin game. They actually almost won them by near identical scores. They beat Martin 90 to 62. They beat ETSU 94 to 62. Mm. And dude, they just let up 62 in every single game because I'm looking at their exhibition box score now and Lenore Ryan scored 62. Weird. So either nobody's keeping track of the opponent's score or their defense is just oddly consistent. I mean, hey, that's if it, if you're just if your defense is that consistent that you know that hey, we just need to score 63 points to win, I'm going to feel pretty good playing for that team. <laughs> I mean, certainly fair. Uh, now there is a few players on Tennessee that are worth looking out for. I am going to try my Best to say this last name. I am so sorry in advance, but Olivier Kamua, 
Kamwa. It's probably Kamwa or something close to that. I probably butchered that again. Apologies. But he puts up 23 against ETSU. Kennedy Chandler also looks pretty solid from everything that, you know, I've seen, everything that I've heard, everything that I'm reading into. I am a little not concerned, but just curious how a team that only has 18 free throw attempts against ETSU is going to be down the stretch because to me that signals that they take a lot of outside shots. And if you go cold from outside, you're, you're in a tough spot, but at the same time, 18 attempts means you get a good number of fouls. And as I've said, Villanova's paper thin. So maybe they're a nice little healthy mix of things. I'm not sure. So I'm really watching this game to get a sense of, okay, how is Tennessee really and how can Villanova, you know, do in what's essentially a tournament style of things where it's not two days apart, but imagine the normal NCAA tournament, you, to advance, you have to win. So you win your game the previous Saturday. So you go to, I don't know, Thursday or Friday, the next day, it's only a few days later because they're not that far removed from playing UCLA. So you get a few days to figure out your next opponent. Now, what do you do? So this is a big test for them too. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, my I hate Rick Barnes is going to say that they're going to win this game in the regular season and make me think that in the postseason they could do something. A typical Rick Barnes move. But also because Nova is pretty thin, I just I think that Tennessee's got more depth. So I'm going to take the volunteers in this one. All right. So, you know, diving into these teams, obviously Chandler for Tennessee – has been a stud so far. Um, and, you know, coming at it from, this is like a, you know, baby steps for me trying to get into to more, you know, focused college basketball talk. Um, maybe just call me the noob or whatnot, but I look at Villanova's schedule. They lost to the second rated team in the country. And obviously I think UCLA is, um, there's some debate on that, but right now they are number two in the country. Um uh, Villanova plays a fairly balanced game and they do have a pretty good back end, right? On, on D. Um, and because of that, and, you know, trying to maybe forget a little bit about the UCLA loss with what you mentioned with a semi quick turnaround um, oppo- compared to Tennessee, who gets a week off um, Nova gets Howard, which should be an easy steamroll for them. And then they get uh, Tennessee later this week. So, um, I'm going to pick Villanova here and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. The, the one thing though, that goes without saying is that Jay Wright will, as Jay Wright always is be the best dressed person in the entire room because that man puts a lot of time and care into how he looks, which if you don't know, Jay Wright is Villanova's head coach. I did not know that, but I will go and, 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 peep out some of his style right after we're done recording he is a sharply dressed man now let's move on to the other game because what's going on with the other game right now we've got north carolina traveling to purdue and this is again a top 25 matchup it's in west lafayette indiana so right purdue home cooking i've been kind of keeping this to myself because i was curious to see how it goes 
as of right now, Carolina, who has played all of nobody this season, they played Loyola of Maryland, who frankly isn't a basketball school. They played Brown, which is not one of the top Ivy Leagues. You've probably got either Harvard or Yale or recently Cornell a little bit for that. But this year, I'm pretty sure Yale will be at the top. But either way, they're not one of the top ones. They only beat Brown by seven, which by Carolina standards, not good. I mean, you won the game, but not good. They did beat Loyola by about 16. That's better. But that was your first game of the season. Brown was your second. Right now, they're playing College of Charleston. Now, College of Charleston has been a pesky and pretty solid CAA team. But the CAA, notably, whoever their conference uh, tournament champion is, usually gets either a 15 or a 16 seed. So even though Towson is in the CAA and I want Towson to be as good as possible and I want them to face good competition so they can get good seeds, if I'm being realistic, if Towson never wins the conference, they're going to be a 15 or 16 seed. It's just that simple. College of Charleston is currently up by six at, at halftime. College of Charleston, before this game, has played South Carolina State, Lipscomb, and also Loyola of Maryland. So the fact that they're up 42 to 36 against the number 18 team in the country is pretty staggering. And that's an upset alert that, frankly, could take the shine off this Carolina game. It could also make it more interesting because it's going to be when it comes to ACC teams, the, the headlines always going to be coach K, especially with the recent controversy that happened there last night, his grandson, stupid Paolo Banchero, stupid for being in the car and letting that happen. Whatever. We'll move on from that. But this is Hubert Davis's first season at Carolina taking over for a legend in Roy Williams. If he loses this game, the people in Chapel Hill and all around tobacco road are going to be irate. Because they, do, they don't have time for this sort of thing in their minds. They, they don't want to run back a Brad Doherty who was just nothing but disappointment during his time there. And they don't, even, they don't even want to run the risk of it being a Brad Doherty. They want this to be a seamless transition. They want Hubert Davis to come in and basically be Roy Williams 2.0 because it's Carolina. They have that kind of tradition. They don't have time or interest for you to suck or even have a contemplation of sucking. It's just not in their blood. So if Carolina comes back, wins this game, all's well that ends well, I guess. But it's not a good look that you're down six to College of Charleston right now. On the other side, Purdue, wildly predicted to be – actually, hold up. I'm going to go back to something real quick with Carolina's schedule because I I wanted to mention this. If you look at their schedule, just one of the funny little anomalies that they put up there – the very first thing that comes up on their schedule is October 15th versus late night, which basically is their way of saying midnight madness. It's just one of those things that doesn't make any sense, but I thought it was kind of funny. But <laughs> all right. So it, thank you for the courtesy laugh. But so Purdue, they're built to be the top team or one of the top teams with Michigan in the Big Ten right now. They are a national title contender for many, many, many people. Purdue is also kind of like Tennessee, one of those teams that often disappoints in the NCAA tournament. Matt Painter has a lot to prove this season, in my, in my opinion. And 
I really want to say that he he can get to the final four and be okay. But I think honestly, if he doesn't get to the title game, they've had good teams. So people in West Lafayette, I'm sure are more than happy with Matt Painter because he has been, I would imagine the best coach in Purdue history, but he had teams with like Robbie Hummel, Etwan Moore, a few other guys in the past whose names are currently escaping me, but he's had good people. They should have gone further. So to me, this is really a, a year where painters got to prove it. You know, even, even up in Michigan where they want to be really good, Juwan Howard's only in like his third season. So for him, it's really not nearly as much as painter. I feel like painter has been at Purdue almost as long as Tom Izzo has been at Michigan state. And Izzo, while it's been a while, has at least gotten the job done. So it's time for Painter. And it like this game is so important for both sides. The looming threat of what happens to Carolina if they lose to College of Charleston and then lose to Purdue, that's bad. Even if Carolina wins this game, okay, you escaped College of Charleston. Now you got your first real test. And same for Purdue. They They've played – oh, my goodness, the, the scores the, the scores are super weird because Purdue has also only let up 67 in two of their games. So they've also been pretty consistent. Weird. The, the only difference is uh, Wright State, who they played tonight, they beat 96 to 52. So that's the only difference. But, I mean, either way, still a very odd statistical anomaly. Um, I do actually, I believe, have – one correction to make is that I believe that this this game is at a neutral site and Purdue just happens to be labeled the home team. So, mm. and I believe it's the same thing for Villanova and Tennessee. So take everything that I said about home court advantages, throw them out the window. I'm an idiot, <laughs> but hey. You're not an idiot. <laughs> I didn't know even know it was that neutral, neutral site. But yeah, th- uh, thank you to Purdue's website for tipping me off to that one. Um, but it actually looks like they're playing in Uncasville, Connecticut. The heck is in Uncasville? Uncasville, interesting. That's an that's a strange name. I've never heard of that. But either way, this game is the type of game that's kind of kind of set the course for both teams' season. Carolina, Hubert Davis has a lot to prove as a coach, especially because you know you want to keep bringing in recruits and you want to get off to a good start when you know that Duke, your primary rival has John Shire taking over next year. So you're the brand new guy taking over for a legend. There's another brand new guy at your biggest rival taking over for a legend. Both of you played for the schools at which you were coaching at. So there's that natural pressure that comes with it. He's got to get off to a good start if he's going to be bringing recruits to Carolina as opposed to bringing them to Duke. So that's really important for him. And Purdue really has to get off to a good start because the Big Ten it's going to be a battle as it is for every season. And also they're kind of along with Michigan right now, holding the mantle for the big 10 because the big 10 hasn't won a title since the two thousands. So for them, it's not just Purdue that they're worried about. It's, it's the conference that they've kind of got to build some pride in. Now, putting all of that together, I did take Purdue to begin with when I thought that this game was in Indiana and I'm sticking with that just because I think overall they are the better team. It, it really, I want to get more detail to that, but honestly, the, the opponents that they've played 
and then kind of cupcakes, same as it was for Tennessee. But at least with that one, it kind of – I had Villanova to kind of juxtapose to that with the fact that they had already played UCLA. This game, it really is, again, barring what happens with College of Charleston, Crazy. This, is, this is their first real game. Yeah. Dude, you, you stole the words basically, you know, from 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 the digging I did. Um, I, I You stole everything out of my mouth. Uh, the fun tidbit I found, though, um, is that obviously uh, Tar Heels played Brown in their last game and they didn't end up winning. Um, however, this was Brown's first game against a D1 team since pre-COVID, so March 2020. Yeah, that's and- right. The Ivy League didn't allow their teams to play. Yeah, and they were still able to put up 50 points in the first half against the Tar Heels. I will say that 50 points, is, I mean, it's okay, especially with uh, some of the recent changes that have been made. Uh, they went from a 35-second shot clock a few years ago down to a 30-second. Uh, they are also trying to kind of create more freedom of movement like there is in the NBA. So what I would want to see with those 50 points was how much of it came in during like actual game time and how much came in during garbage time. Hmm. So that that's, that's just a question I don't have an answer to right now. Well, that was 50 points in the first half. Oh, (laughs) well, that's important. Yeah. I was going to say that that wasn't, there was no garbage time. There's no garbage time in the first half. So, I mean that right there. Oh yeah. I was actually looking at the score. (laughs) That, uh, you know, on top of Purdue just, you know, being stacked, basically, like what you said, um, I'm taking Purdue in this one, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Boilermakers are going to be good all season. For them, it's really, they're building for the postseason. Right now, Carolina's kind of rebuilding their program, but Purdue, for them, it's, it's deep tournament run, and I mean, like, Final Four minimum, absolute minimum, because an Elite Eight's not going to cut it anymore. They, they've they've got to do it. So, oh man, I'm really I'm so excited to pop on CBS Sports Network after this and and catch the uh, the end of the Carolina Charleston game because that that score is really catching me off guard. Yeah, that's I mean, I I just I, do you envision Duke having a similar letdown? Yes, because there's going to be a natural level of even though coach K will give his seal of approval to John Shire, it's still not coach K. So Shire's got, you know, his own system to implement. He's got his own culture to create. He's not going to be Mike Krzyzewski. And even though I can't stand Mike Krzyzewski, I'll give him some credit. You know, there's a reason why Duke is constantly at the top. Yeah. So Shire's got work to do. Same, same as Hubert Davis. You know, th- this is both, as far as I understand it, both of their first ever head coaching gigs, and they are going right from the frying pan straight into the fire. So naturally speaking, they're going to get burnt along the way, and I think it's just natural. The problem is I don't think either fan bases really have the patience for it. So, yeah. That being said, we're going to jump back to college football because as we like to do, uh, we're going to end the week on our FCS matchup of the week. And this one for me in particular is a super fun one to talk about because it is an in-state interconference rivalry with Montana, Montana State. 
they look I, when I was looking it up, they both have the same conference record, same as Eastern Washington, all three of which are in the Big Sky Conference, which also great name for a conference. Fantastic name. Uh, Loki, one of the best, if not the best in the country. I mean, Sunbelt, if they actually were called the Fun Belt, I think that would be an automatic <sighs> win. But either way, Big Sky, great conference name. But this one's huge because these two teams are top 10. And while there is like more playoff spots than there are in the FBS. This is going to play a huge role in seeding, especially with how crazy the FCS has been week in and week out. So Chris, who you got? So I'm taking Montana uh, for a few, for a handful of reasons, um, mainly just looking at their record. Um, so they have eight total D one wins across the board. Obviously, the most notable is against Washington. That's how they started their season, pulled off that quote-unquote upset. I mean, now, in hindsight, it's not really much of an upset, but it still is just being FCS versus FBS. But Washington was ranked in the top 25 um, for FBS at the time. And then on top of that, I was doing a, you know maybe a little bit of analytical dive here, but overall, Montana's strength of schedule is ranked 30th overall in the FCS. Um, and they lost to Eastern Washington and Sacramento State, both of which were top 15 teams um, at the time. Compared to Montana State, who they lost to Wyoming, so that was their one FBS loss. They don't have an FBS win, um, and their, their most notable win is over Eastern Washington. So while Montana State might be higher, I think that that quality of wins – Montana takes the cake, so I'm, I'm saying Montana. Yeah, so comparatively speaking, Washington, to set up some context, not comparatively speaking, contextually speaking, to set that up, Washington, they have won four games this year. Those four games are against Arkansas State, Cal, Arizona, and a Stanford team that has recently gone through an absolute battery of injuries. So Washington is not winning games against good teams. I mean, Cal, like Arizona sounds like a big name. So does Cal. I mean, Stanford more than anybody does. But you take a look at it. Arizona is the doormat of the Pac-12. They are terrible this season. Cal is just a hair above them in terms of terribleness. They just don't get the same publicity because they're not the worst. And Arkansas State, am I really supposed to take that seriously? So definitely, in, in my opinion, not an upset. Although I think it would be less considered an upset if it was like a Sam Houston that beat them because Sam Houston just looks really good. So I think the fact that Montana has suffered some losses, I, I will say that that does add a little bit of flavor back to the, um, back to the sort of like upset feel for me. I'm going to take Montana largely because they're playing at home. And I feel like this game is going to be one of those like super evenly matched ones. Looking at Montana's schedule, this is the last game of their season until they, you know, uh, if they do a big sky conference title, I don't know, or until they hit the playoffs. So this one is like we said, monumental for both teams. I, I want to be able to dive deep into this kind of like what you did. And say like, oh, you know, I've got X, Y, and Z because I have been taking a look at, you know, what both teams have been doing. 
Montana State notably being one of the teams to trip up Eastern Washington. But it, to me, this is this is sadly as simple as it's it's their last game of the season and Montana's at home. You know, I think that kind of like what we saw with uh, the crazy South Dakota play this past weekend. Sometimes a little home cooking is all you need. So, yeah. you know, it's it is an interesting position to be in when you can take a look at the schedule and say that Montana State beat Eastern Washington. Montana did not. And between those three teams, they are the top three teams in the Big Sky Conference. So you take a look at a common opponent who's also at the top of your conference. It would seem to suggest Montana State. On paper, Montana State looks like the right pick, especially because they're like they're also, I mean, Montana lost to Sacramento State. That's not good. But just give me the home cooking. You know, I... I have seen a few big Grizz games in, uh, on TV. I haven't seen them in person, obviously. I would love to, but I think they're just going to take it. You know, the home cooking works out. It's a simple explanation. It's kind of a moronic explanation, but it's the best I got. And that's, I feel like that's all I need. They've got a pretty sick stadium. They do. I mean, for being an FCS school out in Montana. Yeah. And I'm I mean, not saying, what else I'm not is there to do? Well, I was going to say, I'm not saying that to denigrate Montana. I'm saying that because, honestly, I feel like they would go find other things to do. You know, I feel like Montana is one of those states that's, like, really big on, like, rodeos and hunting and all the stuff that, like, for for the non-sports fan, I feel like Montana is one of those perfect places where, like, if you're, if you're like, a more country-based person who really isn't interested in, like, traditional athletics or – if your thoughts based on what the NFL is doing has turned you off from football, Montana feels like the right place for you. I mean, I would normally say somewhere like North Dakota, but I mean, both their football teams are also really good. So I don't know. I mean, it just surprises me that they would put that much, you know, into their stadium. And I mean, heck I'd, I'd even say the same for North Dakota state with the Fargo dome, but I feel like they at least also get a hockey rink out of that. So yeah. Montana, they, as far as I know, unless they're playing their games outdoors, they don't get a hockey rink out of their football stadium. Nope. <laughs> but give me the big grizz in this one. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Really long episode uh, for out of, uh, out of the ordinary, but we had some more to talk about this week. So make sure to give us a follow on all the Average Sean media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we will catch you guys next time. <laughs>